Welcome to another episode of the Guildhall School Events Podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by cast members from our last 2014 autumn term drama coming up in the Silk Street Theatre, Her Naked Skin by Rebecca Lenkiewicz. With me today are actors Oscar Batterham as William Kane, Alex Knox as Keir Hardy and George Curzon, Rebecca Lee, who plays Celia Kane, Alice Winslow as Florence Berman, and Amber James as Eve Douglas. So the play set in 1913 at the time of the suffragette movement. What's the story all about? Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the story um, follows uh, two women who've joined the suffragette movement. One is a, a middle-class wife of a lawyer, um, and one is as a, um, a factory girl. And um, it's about their relationship that develops um, within the context of the suffragette movement. And, um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to spoil much more than that, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the main themes of the play, what, 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 do, you, what do you say they are? God, I think, like any good play, a massive one's love, um, whether it's falling in love for the first time or falling out of love, with someone um a lot of the characters have what's happened in their past has really affected what what's happening to them now so either they've like i said they've had a bad relationship with someone that they love or they've not had a lot of chance to be loved um so i think that's a big part of it i think also maybe sacrifice like Mm. what we put on the line for the things that we care about or the causes we care about i mean these women put not only their lives on the line, but their sort of reputation within society. They're often, if they were married, their their family life was, you know, they had, if they went to prison, um, they were then away from their their children and husbands for however many months. Um, And sort of, it's sort of amazing to think about putting that much on the line for, for something, I feel that like there's something about um, the world at that time in history and the kind of the establishment, you know, at loggerheads with these women who were really fighting for something mm. they strongly believed in. And uh, it's just before the outbreak of the First World War. Nobody knew that the First World War was coming. Yeah, I think the longest period of peace, what, yeah, thirty mm. years. Like uh, you know, and actually, the, the era we're living in is now the longest period of peace we've ever mm. enjoyed. Um, and so war came as a big surprise. Uh, I think there's just that sense of the establishment, the empire at its peak, but being challenged, you know, just you can just see the cracks just beginning to appear. I was, I was looking at a review of the 2008 run in the National Theatre, um, and it said uh, one of the most horrifying scenes of the London stage takes place in this play. <laughs> and I think that happens to you, Amber, doesn't it? It does as, indeed, as yes, it so does. So what, what exactly happens? Um, so the scene is um, about something that happened a lot in the prisons across Britain, Holloway particularly at the time, um, which was force feeding um, because the women were hunger striking um, during their time inside and in order for them not to be sort of made into martyrs, the establishment needed them to be able to stay in prison and not come out because they'd have died during the strike or whatever, so anyway, this horrific thing would take place in which you'd be forced down and a tube would either be inserted through your mouth or up your nostril um, and you'd just be filled basically with with food. Um, And it would go 20 inches. 20 inches the tube goes through your nose and into your stomach Um, and obviously it wasn't what was wanted and so you'd be held down by anything up to I think 10 people and it's it's a really important scene in the play I think and because it's just a really important part of the history of what happened and we did a lot of research as a company and um, there's these amazing accounts you can read 
like newspaper articles or diary entries and things about women that went through it at the time and you can read they describe their experience of the whole thing so we've really looked into that and tried to make it as as truthful as, as we can really and before we before we started um rehearsing the play i i really didn't know what was involved in force feeding um and it doesn't you it's really difficult to sort of understand the the horror of it and the the how painful it must have been for some of these women and and it was even at times i mean used more as a sort of i mean it was torture and um sometimes some women had I mean, some of the doctors abused them so badly that they weren't even feeding them so that they would ha have sustenance. They'd be inserting those tubes into other orifices of their bodies as a form of um, punishment, punishment well, yeah, and, torture, yeah. and torture. I wanted to ask um, how the female characters relate to each other. Mm. Um, so, Amber, you play Eve. I do. Re Rebecca, you play Celia, mm. and Alice, you play Florence Borman. So, so what are your what are your interactions in in the play? Well, I am the one of the only um, working class characters in the plays. I'm a Eve is a from the East End, and she's a seamstress, and she finds herself caught up in the movement and wants to join and she goes to, for her first sentence in Holloway Prison for seven months and inside she meets Lady Celia Kane who Celia Madeline Celia Kane exactly <laughs> and um, I don't think it's a person that Eve has ever been around or experienced someone like her before and they fall in love which for Eve is the first time she's ever been in love ever felt wanted or or cared for. Florence is the sort of is sort of the leader of the movement, or at least the movement that we see within the course of the play. Um, she's very strong-willed. Um, she's in her seventies and has been has basically devoted her entire life to the movement, um, and I think is, cl is close friends with with Celia um, through their work with with the organization. She's not all that comfortable with matters of the heart. She's maybe a little more um, intellectually inclined. In terms of um, something fairly different to right now, the, the costumes that you'll be wearing, um, mm -hmm. is it quite um, sort of, I mean, I imagine suffragettes to be wearing this, this sort of, um, I suppose it's not even Victorian anymore, is it, but these sort of big Freddy numbers? Yeah, well, it's actually quite stark i mean the costumes are all very um classic and simple and but the, the main thing that, that that is actually challenging to do with the costume is um is hats isn't it because mm. we've never really had to wear them in and corsets as well yeah. Corsets, yeah. <clears throat> which only the girls have to wear yeah yeah, yeah. and it's also been special <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying you don't have to wear i'm devastated I don't get <laughs> give it give it 30 years it is interesting though because i think the sort of the image you have in your head of this suffragettes is of these you know frilly white you see the scenes from mm. Hyde Park and they're frilly and sort of and in white and but actually if you look at the pictures there are there are a lot a lot a lot of them in more masculine mm. sort of um, trousers as well trousers mm. some wearing trousers um, men's shirts wearing ties and I think that's very much along the line of what our designer Agnes 
Treplin has gone gone with mm-hmm. sort of more um, sort of no nonsense. Now let's move on to Oscar and Alex here in the room. Um, uh, Alex, you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. if you weren't sure. Alex, you play a couple of different characters um, yeah. with very interesting uh, early 20th century names, Keir and George Curzon. Um, yeah. They sound quite uh, gentleman, gentlemanly. Uh, what, well, what certainly George Curzon uh, was very much establishment... Um, I think he was responsible for splitting Bengal. You know, he, you know, he was really involved in uh, the empire and uh, in India and all around there. But uh, you know, was very was a lord, uh, a landowner in Ireland. You know, really part of that that world which is just beginning to crumble. Um, he doesn't come across very well in the play okay. mm. as uh, Oscar and I. Well, mm. yeah. Well, there's a scene later on in which um, uh, Curzon's had a bit too much to drink. And challenges Oscar's character, and mocks him, and um, yeah, he doesn't come off very well from the whole encounter. Um, but uh, con- uh, contrastingly, is uh, Keir Hardy, who I find an extraordinary character. He's uh, he's the guy who essentially well, he he set in uh, in action the beginnings of the Labour Party. Uh, he was challenging. He was you know uh, canvassing on all the sort of relevant issues of the day, really, and speaking about things which. Other people just weren't speaking about, and uh, women's suffrage was a big part of that. Uh, and, and he really, um, you know, there's there's a wonderful scene set in in the Parliament. There are a few scenes set in. Yeah, yeah. It was one one scene set in Parliament. There's a few others in the sort of antechambers, but in the actual House itself. And he uh, he really stands up and he just says, he's a Scot, by the way. I should have said he's sort of from Glasgow. He's a working class man. He's uh, come from the coal mines to a position of being an MP. Yeah, and he uh, he says what what. He says the unspeakable and says that this false feeling is wrong and uh, is laughed at the house for it. But he's still remembered to this day, really, Keir Hardy. And I think he was voted the um, the Labour Party's greatest ever parliamentarian, which is quite a, a, a feat uh, when you think of the, the names over the last century or so. So, um, so there we go. But, but Oscar, you, you play um, um, not a, a fictional character, but... Well, I, I am I am it. fictional, but... Um, <laughs> no, I, I play the, the husband of... Uh, Lady um, Celia Kane, um, who is a lawyer, um, and is kind is sort of in a halfway house between being very much a part of the establishment that with all the, along with all the MPs, and we see him in his gentleman's club. Um, but obviously, he's married to this devo- devoted suffragette, and he's devoted to her, and so it's the his journey through the play is a real struggle between um between his responsibilities as a husband and as a father and and therefore her responsibilities as a wife and as a mother um which and and they struggle with that as a as a pair um with the pressure within the pressures of the movement and what it demands of her and and therefore of him um is there a lot of music in the play well, sort of suffragette songs really yeah, there's a lot of suffragette songs suffragette songs and there's um the Unnamed Irish oh, tune, yes, the, which AKA is what Danny Boy. Danny Boy. <laughs> we should we have um, a live pianist on stage with us, which is a real, real treat, and I think adds a nice sort of texture mm. to the show. Yeah, it's Dinish Souza, and he's one because he's worked a lot with Christian in the past, and so that um, is a really st- good dynamic and a strong dynamic, and it's clear that Christian really trusts him and is prepared to 
let him <clears throat> suggest things and all the music he's picked out you know there are some there's some music that goes underneath uh, some of the scenes and uh, he's picked so well he's um, he's uh, he's been a wonderful presence in the room mm. and it's really nice to have a live pianist as well because mm. then it's kind of a human interaction between the music and the and the acting as opposed to just a soundtrack mm, right. mm. um, Christian can't be here with us today um, sadly it doesn't mean we can't talk about him <laughs> so um, <laughs> um, obviously um, I'm sure he'd be happy with us doing that he's obviously a legend at Guildhall a bit like Wynne Jones um, what's it actually like working with him well, well it is interesting you mentioned Wynne because uh, uh, three of us came straight from just working on South Downs before this we only had one day in between um, finishing the Browning version uh, in South Downs. Sorry, yes, of course, South Downs and the Browning version. Um, oh, God. Uh, we called it South Browning for short. Uh, when, so we finished with Wynn on the Saturday and then on the Monday uh, we started with Christian. So it was very interesting to see their two styles and they're both absolutely brilliant in their own way and very different. Yeah, completely different, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a kind of case of uh, getting rid of uh, or, or sort of letting, letting go of one way of working and mm. getting into another. So, so what, what are those differences? Well, um, uh, Wynne, uh, I suppose, likes to work very technically and is very, very specific about, um, about individual strands of what we're trying to do and, and um, sort of difficult to explain, but working on, on one kind of element at a time and really fine-tuning each element um, as you go. Um, and Christian is sort of completely the opposite in that mm. kind of... Um, uh, I don't know how you describe Ooh, it. Just sort of throws kind of you in the deep end. Throws you in the deep end. It can be, it can be kind of terrifying. <laughs> um, but, you know, it gets equally good things out of people um, mm -hmm. in a, the completely opposite approach, really. I think also one of the things I, I love about Christian is he kind of works off this principle that we can only ever um, create what exists between the people what people are in the room and what we create together in the room, which I think is really nice because it's kind of constantly bringing us back to the idea of ensemble and and just sort of finding our way through this story as us, if that makes sense, mm. um, mm -hmm. and with each other. He really loves it. Um, he encourages us a lot to push the boundaries and to take risks and and not try and do it right all the time and not try and sort of be good because when as soon as you push all that sort of those thoughts out you tend to do much better work and find things that are much more interesting i, I think yeah. it's important to say it's mentioned danny mcgrath as well who mm -hmm. um, yeah. is the movement um who's doing all mm. the movement for this show and but who's also you know a big part of of christian's core team um and uh danny works with us all the time throughout our first two years here and he's 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 very inspirational, he's a terrific, um, terrific man, and uh, you know has put so much time into this as well as Christian, and it's been very much a, a joint effort. It's felt like with yeah. Christian and Danny, and, and sharing that responsibility of leading us through this mm -hmm. um, this process. Yeah, because and also because it's almost the entire year group that's in the play, and there are these big um, big scenes, um, big chorus scenes. Like there's a there's one in Hyde Park at Speaker's Corner. Um, well, there's Parliament. And there's mm -hmm. the uh, Men in Parliament. The Gentlemen's Club. The Gentlemen's Club. And so there are these really epic um, scenes. And it's in Silk Street as well, which is a fantastic space for that kind of stuff. And so Danny's just really pushing us to use the space as much as possible and use each other. And 
that's actually quite exciting feed off each other's energy just the last the last thing we we talked about so we can wrap it up um are there any particularly interesting um, features of the of the staging or the um, technical technical features that it might be nice to talk about? Mm. Well, I think um, the main challenge with this play has been that um, that there are so many scenes. It's it uh, has thirty one scenes, I think, and in lots the whole, of different and locations, in various locations, and, and it sort of reads like a um, almost like a television script in that it cuts from like in, from very very different settings um, immediately. Um, and so it's been a challenge not to have to stop and um, and uh, to to maintain momentum throughout the play, um, and not have to stop uh, to have, to have some. That's some that's something that you're quite good at, isn't it? Because when I went when I went to see True Dare Kiss, <laughs> there were so many scene <laughs> yeah. changes, and everybody was just like, you know, running in and grabbing a chair and running off again, and, yeah. and within about six seconds it was you know the whole scene had been replaced with something mm-hmm. completely <laughs> different by all the all the company that were involved so yeah. I was quite impressed with I that. mean that was a huge again a huge challenge of that show as well but it's quite funny because when we finished that we have um we were having like a chat with it with Christian was there as well I'm just saying yeah that was a, that was one of the biggest challenges of that show actually and then he was saying well in your next <laughs> one you're probably going to be doing pretty much the same thing um but yeah I think we've sort of we've got experience of it and we work because the whole year as well there's a really nice energy of wanting to sort of drive the play on the actual set is incredibly stark um which actually is a huge blessing for us because there are so many different settings so it's kind of we're using a an exercise from the first year really called magic space where Mm. you can create any space out of just people in the space bodies in the space Mm. Um, so we're just sort of using very minimal um, movements of the set, which are these sort of, we have 19 um, sort of grey boxes with handles. And then we also have an incredible, like, huge archways with all these grates that come down for the prison, mm-hmm. um, which is going to look really stunning. Um, but the the idea is that we have minimal movement to, to create a new space without without uh, having to move on lots and lots of furniture, and which is a blessing for so many scenes. Sure. And I think it is one of the biggest challenges of the play is sort of, is in that um, there's a lot of very, that like we've said, sort of more epic company scenes. And then it goes right back mm. to the very, very intimate, yeah. close. So for a long time, we were trying to work out what was the role of the kind of the, the chorus, as it were. Um, how are they going to help tell the story? And do we want to have everyone on stage or did we want to... Uh, break them away or you, you know in what how to tell the story physically um but that's definitely we've now struck a kind of a nice balance we are you know what is it less than two weeks to go but mm-hmm. we're now finding a sort of balance uh in which we allow the intimacy of those scenes to to to, to live and exist mm-hmm. uh and then be able to change the space massively with lots and lots of bodies in the space and um, mm-hmm. it's the I most think, exciting bit of it i think lighting as well will play quite a big part of that mm. um yeah, Christian's worked with Joe quite a lot before, and and um, she's coming up with a scheme to help us and the music as well. So all of these components will come together hopefully to be able to totally change the space mm. in in a couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. We should also say as well, we were lucky enough to meet the writer. Yes. Um, a few weeks ago, um, Rebecca Langovitz came in to speak to us, which was really wonderful because um, you don't often get chances to do that to meet the person. What, what did she talk to you about? We just asked her about sort of her inspirations for writing the piece and 
and her inspirations for the characters because some of them she talks about almost being based on on real people even if they they are fictional characters what is really interesting is that you've got people like Keir Hardy Lord Curzon um, and uh, um, Asquith who are real historical, historical mm-hmm. figures of English British history and then you also have these fictional characters which it was so extraordinary researching them because you find little little like gems that connect all of these different women together um, that have kind of formed this um, beast which is <laughs> my character or someone else's character um, so it was really wonderful to be like oh 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 that could be me or, uh, oh yeah this is mm-hmm. great because Rebecca did say she wanted to sort of stay clear of the the Pankhursts mm. for the most part but I think there are yeah, there, there, there are allusions in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, spirits. Of I got very excited yeah, yeah. when I found out that Keir Hardy um, had an affair with, mm. well, a long, a long-lasting relationship with with Sylvia Pankhurst. Mm. Um, you know, so that there was a, so even there's there's sort of relationships again. Mm. But you know, what is it that's really mm. driving that the uh, the suffrage movement often is mm. often is those those ties that come as a result of, mm. of relationships. Wonderful. Well, I think we've. Um, pretty much talked about everything we should talk about without oh, I suppose we've probably given the whole thing away now haven't we <laughs> 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 never mind um, <laughs> anyway, I'm really looking forward to coming and seeing Her Naked Skin um, best of luck to you all and thank you ever so much for coming in today giving us your time thank Absolute you pleasure. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you thanks to all of our cast and to our listeners at home Her Naked Skin by Rebecca Lenkiewicz runs from Friday the 28th of November until Wednesday 3rd of December in the Silk Street Theatre you can find more information and buy tickets for Her Naked Skin from Barbican Box Office and online at gsmd.ac.uk.